Okay, if you are just joining us, what we have been doing these past few weeks together is uh, reading a letter a guy named Peter wrote. It is creatively titled in your Bible, First Peter. So uh, if you brought uh, a device or have an app or something that you want to pull that out and maybe you're using the analog Bible system of the printed Bible, then you can pull that out. Find First Peter chapter 3. That's where we're going to be at. If you're new to the Bible or even to this series, a couple things I want you to know. First of all, Peter is just an ordinary guy like anybody here today, but he's had some extraordinary things happen in in his life. For starters, he was chosen to be one of Jesus's 12 disciples, and uh, he wasn't just one of the 12. He was like a first among equals. He was essentially the CEO of these uh, 12 disciples, and uh, some denominations even teach that uh, the church that we're, you know, being a part of right now, it was founded by Peter. And that they get that from the book of Acts when Peter preached a message and 3,000 people got saved in that one hearing of God's word. So that's pretty awesome. But if that's not awesome enough for you, 3,000 people getting saved, well, Peter didn't even speak the language that some of these people uh, spoke. So uh, God being God, when Peter got up to preach, he started talking. These people started hearing what Peter was saying in their own native tongue. Another time when Peter was out traveling uh, with a guy named John, they go to the temple. They see a guy sitting outside by the gate. He's lame. He's begging for money. He's ashamed about the whole thing. Can't even look at Peter and John when they show up. And, you know, he's just like, please, sir, you know, give me some more food and whatever. And Peter, uh, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 3, it records the actual conversation. And it says, Peter looked intently at the man and yelled, look at me! Like exclamation point. And you're like, dude, what? Settle down. This guy's just asking for some, why are you yelling at him? And he said, uh, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. And the guy springs up like, you know, the scarecrow on the Wizard of Oz and like skips away. And you're like, what in the world? Everybody else is like, what has just happened? And uh, when it comes to Peter's life, could have talked about the time he walked on water. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Could have talked about the time he's in jail and a Navy SEAL angel like comes in and uncuffs him and like escorts him out with nobody else noticing the whole thing. And that's pretty rad. My all-time favorite story in the Bible, Peter's up on a roof. He's praying to God. He has this vision of a sheet being lowered down out of heaven. And on this sheet, there's like pigs and chicken and burgers and and bacon, and God is, says to Peter, rise, get up and eat. Now, if you're, you're familiar with the Jewish tradition, you know they can't eat some of that stuff. It's considered unclean. And so Peter thought this is a test. He's like, I ain't eating uh, what's on that sheet. Never, Lord. It's unclean. And God's like, this ain't un- I've, I've been up since 4 a.m. smoking this brisket, Peter. Like, this, ain't un- this is the best brisket you're ever going to eat. And... And because of that conversation with God, we've been smoking ribs in Jesus' name and tailgate. And it's just one of the greatest things ever in life. But a slightly paraphrased uh, 
Acts chapter 10 is where you can find that, but it's amazing. Point is, Peter had a very unique life, a life we can learn many lessons from, but the most important thing that we can get from Peter is he was an eyewitness to Jesus. And he spent time with Jesus, and he saw Jesus raised from the dead, and he was in in fact commanded by Jesus to help disciple other people. And in John chapter 21, Jesus says to Peter, implores him, feed my sheep, Like, like preach my word, disciple my people. And one of the ways Peter chose to do that is by giving his biography to a guy named Mark, John Mark more specifically. So when you read your Bible and you read the book of Mark, that's actually Peter talking uh, through Mark. And as Peter got to the end of his life, he's like, I need to take matters into my own hands. And he started writing some letters to people living outside Jerusalem. This is where we get first and second Peter. And uh, these people were outlanders. They were foreigners. They were sojourners. In short, they were people just like us. We too are strangers in an unknown land. Uh, If you're a follower of Jesus, this world is not your home. You are a citizen of heaven. And the bulk of this letter is trying to teach us practically how we can live and have belief in an unbelieving world. And it's at this point in the letter, midway through chapter 3, that Peter is about to make a shift. He's been talking about how to live in the world. He's been talking about how we're supposed to react to governments and civil authorities. And he talked about how we're supposed to uh, react to employers and our spouses. And he's been talking about how to deal with people who bully you. And there's going to be like trials and oppression. And he deals with all of that. And the issue at hand today is, how are we supposed to relate to other Christians? That's the shift. He says, like, the world is watching how we treat our own. So you need to be conscious, particularly conscious, of how you treat other Christians. And so let's pick the excitement up in verse 8, chapter uh, 3. Finally, all of you brothers, Christians, followers of Jesus, finally all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called. Somebody say called. To this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So that's interesting. As a pastor, I generally get asked some version of this question by Christians like, what's God's will for my life? How do I know if I'm called to something? And most people don't like my answer because my answer is the same as Peter's. It's first and foremost, you've been called to be unified, like-minded with other believers. You've been called to be sympathetic and loving and compassionate and humble. Peter writes very clearly, to this you've been called. Most people want a job description or a missions opportunity. 
like you've been called to something like that. Some people uh, want some grandiose vision or task that they can give their lives to that's going to change the world, and I want to be called. But if you don't follow these initial steps, why would God give you the next steps? Like if He can't trust you uh, with these small things, and if these things don't create an anticipation in you, an expectancy, a preoccupation of thought, why would God graduate you to the AP course? How come humility doesn't sound as exciting as that job you just applied for? How come compassion isn't nearly as exhilarating within your spirit as registering for college was? I can remember when I had the opportunity to uh, try and walk on to the Wichita State men's basketball team. And this was when the legend from Lawrence, Mark Turgeon himself, was the coach. Which basketball fans, I mean, come on. This dude played in Allen Fieldhouse, the fog, the place where Jesus would have played. You know, I mean, the place where the rules of basketball are housed. As they came out of God's mouth into James Naismith's mind, is like God's game. He's like, record all of this for me. And he wrote it. Like, this is all there. And, and Coach T played there. And uh, as we were going through tryouts on the second day, he was like, I'll give you a call and let you know. Uh, so how many of y'all know I was glued to the phone uh, that next week or whatever it was? I ain't taking calls from anybody. Girlfriend, decline. Mom, nope, can't talk right now. I'm waiting for CT to give me some good news. And coach calls and says, uh, hey, we're going to need you to uh, walk back off. Like never show up again. <laughs> ah, dang it. You know, understood, coach. I appreciate the opportunity. But... When God calls, it's always good news. The reason this list should be the most exciting thing in your life is because when you do them, you inherit a blessing. Now, what the text said? It said, to this you're called. Why? So that you can inherit a blessing. Why is that good news? Because an inheritance depends nothing on you. Right? An inheritance isn't earned, it is freely given. Peter says that your blessing is not dependent upon your abilities, it's conditional upon what Christ has accomplished. And what I love about all of that is every single one of these are a choice. You get to make the choice to be like-minded, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, and humble. I hope you can tell that all five of those words are descriptions of what you are on the inside, not primarily how you act on the outside. That is to say again, this is all a choice. You get to choose if you're going to answer this call on your life. See, when God calls, He always calls, collect. You young people do not know the struggle of what it is to make a collect call. In ancient times, there used to be these uh, pillars uh, in the community. They were called payphones, and you like had to walk over to them and, and insert money if you wanted to make it. This is before cell phones, okay? So like, there used to be this thing. It was like shaped like a banana with two oranges on it, and like you picked it up, and it was like the handheld thing. 
And then if you didn't have the money to make the call, you had to type in a 1-800 number. And then the number you wanted to call, you had to like have all that memorized, by the way. Okay, it's like there's no contacts to scroll through. And like, so you had to remember some things, which is barbaric. I, I get it. It was, it was, you know, history. It's just a horrible, horrible time. Uh, but then... Uh, once you made the call, the person on the other end that you were calling, they had to accept the charges, which was super inconvenient for them because, you know, you were so greedy, you couldn't save 25 cents. It's costing them 250, a thousand percent markup to accept this call from you. And you're like, I need a ride. Can you come pick me up? And they're like, no, just walk. You just cost me 250, you know, so like I can't accept this call anymore. But uh, the reason I say that when God calls you, he calls you collect is because not because God is poor, but rather because you've got a choice to make. This calling that God has for your life, it's going to cost you something. God says the choice is yours. We'll see a little bit more of that in a moment. But the question that you've got to decide in your own heart is, is this inheritance that, that God is promising, this blessing, is that worth it? Choice is up to you. Is the blessing worth it? Here's my sermon in a sentence. You might want to jot this down. Success comes from thoughtfulness, not mindlessness. Success which is what everybody in here is looking for on some level. You want to succeed in life. Success comes from thoughtfulness, not mindlessness. When God puts that call on your life, He's not just asking you to believe. He's not saying, you know, you just got to trust me on this. If you just have enough faith, no, God is asking you to be intentional, to be conscious. And he's, he's saying this is going to take some due diligence on your part because none of these five things in this last list, none of this happens naturally. Now, what I find super compelling is even though these things aren't natural, they aren't particularly laborious either. Are they? I mean, yeah, it requires some thought. But it's not like back-breaking, grueling, uh, we're out here digging ditches in 100-degree heat, work. To be compassionate, be conscious of what other people are thinking. I mean, we could really uh, narrow this list down to one word. Considerate. Just be considerate of other people. Uh, In the words of will I am, just be nice. Be nice, be nice. And and remember, we're not even talking about non-Christians at this point. We're only talking about Christians, people who are exposed to have accepted this same call from God that we have. Peter's already told us about how we're supposed to relate to the rest of the world. And he's going to pick that thought up again in the next chapter. And uh, first, he's making the distinction that since we're all followers of God... And the world's looking at us about how we treat each other, then we need to be deliberate in how we interact together. Now, don't misunderstand me. This is not going to be easy. I would argue the opposite because there's some hard to love Christians out there. There, There's some self professing believers that it's hard to be compassionate for. Maybe you've met one. And plus, back to my original point, these things aren't natural. 
Like, like nobody stumbles into sympathy. Nobody randomly uncovers humility. No, this won't be easy, but this call will absolutely be worth it. How can I say all of that? Well, have you ever noticed it's in the compilation of the insignificant that the seemingly significant begins to happen? Have you noticed in your daily life that it's all these small choices that you make that eventually add up into this one big decision that seems to dramatically impact your life? Pop. Not that big of a deal, right? But if you drink a pop a day for a year, you've consumed 36 pounds of sugar. Sugar that science would say is more addictive than cocaine. Good luck getting off of that if that's your life. That's not even to take into account all the other sugar that you're eating. Maybe a better example, small things, big decision. Your Bible contains roughly, depending on the translation, 783,000 words. So if you read at a fifth grade level, then you can read about 130 words per minute. So it would take you 6,000 minutes to read your Bible. Sounds like a lot until you consider that there are 525,000 minutes in a year. So if you read 16 minutes a day at a fifth grade level, you'll get through your Bible in a year. Uh, Most of you read double that. Like you've graduated high school, you read at above a fifth grade level. I chose fifth grade you know, just for some of you that I know that, you know, can't read very well. But I mean, I'm not saying it's not bad. I'm just saying that 16 minutes a day. Little things, big difference. Maybe this is the best example I could think of. Imagine an arc between my two hands, 180 degrees between left hand and right hand. Uh, If you're doing something and you're out traveling, if you miss your mark by one degree, if you started walking in a straight line and just that much, you changed your direction, one degree. Within uh, one foot, you would miss your mark by a quarter of an inch. Doesn't sound like much, pretty much, pretty trivial. But if if you're traveling and you miss by one degree at 100 yards, you're off by five feet. That starts to become noticeable. After a mile, you're off 92 feet. One degree is starting to make a difference. If you're trying to travel from San Francisco to Washington, D.C., you're off one degree, 42.6 miles. You've just missed your destination. If you're traveling to the moon, you'd be off 4,169 miles. Houston, we have a problem. We can't see anything up here. The guy in charge of the degree vectoring you know, one degree, and now we're lost in space and hoping to see Sandra Bullock and George Clooney floating around somewhere out here. Going to the sun, you miss the sun by 1.6 million miles. Now, in that case, that's pretty good, because if you go to the sun, you're burning up, so like 1.6 million miles, that's probably a good thing. But that's a lot, just from one degree, This is actually why a lot of Kansas farmers are now using GPS in their fields. Because if you miss the field by one degree, 
Now all of a sudden you've got to plow more ground and you're going to use more diesel and uh, maybe have to plant more seeds, which means more fertilizer. One degree is costing you thousands of dollars or it's saving you thousands of dollars. Roll this same theory out into your daily life. The choices that you make all the time. You're one degree off in any of those things. You're a long way off from your final destination. You can see why Peter says success comes from thoughtfulness, not mindlessness. Being intentional in every decision that I'm making. How is this going to play itself out five, ten years from now? You can also see why spiritually... He says unity is such a big deal. It's the first one on the list. It's the most important. Because if you're not thoughtful about what you're unified around spiritually, you get 15,000 different denominations. And if you're not purposeful about your compassion and your humility, you'll find yourself like talking behind people's back and not caring about them and getting caught up in petty differences. That's why Peter's quick to point out, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult because that carousel ain't ever going to stop. And you insult me and I'm going to insult you and then you're going to insult my mom and then we're going to have a fight. And like, this is how it all plays itself out. And if, if you don't give some mindless, like if that is your thing, you don't ever think about this stuff. If you don't give some thoughts to the word that are coming out of your mouth, you don't realize in your own heart that hurting people hurt people. This wasn't about me at all. This is about their own hurt. This doesn't have to do anything with me. Well, now all of a sudden, instead of compassion in your soul, instead of sympathy among Christians, we've got people arguing about petty things, and 2,000 churches in this country are going to close this year because we're not unified because we can't have compassion or sympathy, because we're going to pay insult with insult and vileness with vileness. And now Christians are known as hypocritical bigots instead of helpful brothers that we're called to be. It comes from mindlessness, not thoughtfulness. Because when you're thoughtful, now all of a sudden, well, we can just agree to disagree. And I can accept you without approving of your behavior. And we can still love each other. And we're going to build bridges. We don't have to build walls and isolate ourselves. And we can still be the light in a dark world. And when the people see church, they're going to see hope and life and inclusion and unity and everything that your heart is longing for. And outsiders will be able to look into our windows of life within the Christian church and home and they'll want to be part of the family. When they see the holidays at Thanksgiving and everybody's eating deep fried turkey and nobody's fighting and throwing gravy at each other and everybody's got a present at Christmas and in the Christian home we're giving out full size candy bars at Halloween. Come on, something like there ain't no fun stuff in here and we're getting name brand soda pop. You're like, God ain't handing out Shasta, you know? Like, who wants that? He's giving out vanilla Coke and the real sugar Dr. Pepper in the bottle because God wants you to enjoy life and some wild cherry Pepsi and like he's not holding back anything on you. Amen, somebody. 
And then Peter writes in verse 10, for whoever would love life, apparently there's people in this world who don't love life. For whoever would love life and see good days, you want that in your life? Then you've got to keep your tongue from evil and lips from deceitful speech. Turn from evil, do good. Seek peace, pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Ears are attentive to your prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let that sink in. You want to talk about a scary thought? God opposing you? God being against you? Can you imagine being the Raiders today? As God's chosen quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, just runs wild in the secondary and God is against, you know, the Raiders? In fairness, I do have to, like, start rooting for Derek Carr because a friend of mine, the quarterback for the Raiders, a friend of mine sent me this article about how he's like a super devoted Christian and he almost quit the NFL a couple of years ago to become a pastor. And he's using this platform to spread the gospel. And I was like, what a quandary I'm in now. <laughs> this is worse than the doctrine of predestination here. Like, I can't figure this out. How is the Raider? I don't know what to do with this information, but here's what I need you to hear me say this morning. I want this for you. I want you to be on the whoever so loves life team. I want you to have the good days that Jesus is promising you in this passage. And again, the best news that I can give you is it's all a choice. Just like your calling from God, this collect call that God is making to you, it's a choice. And everything that follows in order for you to have this good life and these good days and loving your life, Peter says that's all a choice. It's up to you if you want this or not. How do we have this, Pastor? Again, it's going to come from thoughtfulness, not mindlessness. And the first thing that Peter says you need to be thoughtful about is keeping your lips from evil, your mouth from deceitful speech. He, uh, I want you to write it down like this. Watch your mouth. How do you be thoughtful in this life? How do you get this good, this loving life, all this that God has inherit this blessing? Well, you got to watch your mouth. Stop speaking so much negativity. What did your mom tell you? If you ain't got nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. I'll tell you uh, like this. What you speak will determine where you go. The words that you're speaking in this life are going to shape your future. Proverbs 18.21 says it like this, the tongue has the power of life and death. This means no matter what words you're speaking, you're either creating life or you're taking life. Thought about that before? You're either building somebody up or you're beating them up. And we've got to get to the point in life where we think before we speak. We have thoughtfulness about what it is we're about to post on the gram or the face box, whatever your social media of choice is. You know, stop hiding behind anonymity. 
posted all kinds of crazy negative stuff out there. Am I bringing life into this? Or am I escorting death? I'm going to reap what I sow. Better start planting some good seeds so I have some good fruit. And Peter continues, those people who love life, they're going to turn from evil and do good. They're going to seek peace. You want more good days? Then do good. Like start doing stuff to make good days. Speak life. Start doing good. Stop bringing all that junk with you everywhere you go. James 4.17 is helpful. Reads anyone who knows the right thing to do but does not do it. Somebody help me. What was that last word? You know the good you're supposed to do? You don't do it? Sin. Uh-oh. Because it's not enough to say, well, I didn't do anything. God's like, I know. That's the problem. You didn't do what you are supposed to do. And so I don't know if you've ever thought to yourself, I should really start serving in church. God has given me gifts, talents, abilities to give me things that I'm passionate about. I should figure out how I should use this among God's people. Who do you think is talking to you at that point? I can tell you who it's not. It ain't the devil. Satan does not want you using your abilities to reach other people with the good news that God is there for them and wants to help them. The devil doesn't want you growing and earning this blessing because you're sacrificing your time and your gifts and your abilities for the glory for God. Like, what? What? Uh, that's not hit. the answer to that question. Who do you think is talking to you? It's not, it's not the devil. Like, like, this is God trying to encourage you and motivate you, which means if you've ever felt that stirring in your soul to get involved and you chose not to do it, Like, I didn't, I didn't write that. I, I hope you realize there are people in this church who serve every single week. Not necessarily because they want to, but because other people haven't decided in their own heart, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice. There are people who have served in this church more than I've been here. Like, they're here every single week. We have people helping in areas today that they would have never helped in because of necessity. People who serve every single week back in kids ministry in both services, they can't come in and worship as a collective body and get to hear and, and praise God the same way that all of us get to. That should cause something to happen in your spirit to say, that's not okay. I'm going to do something about this and I'm going to become who God has created me to be. Serving is not for me. Serving is not for this church. It is for you to inherit a blessing. God wants something for you, not from you. Love life. See good days. Peter keeps writing, verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So 
Two quick things here, because I don't know that there is a more misquoted verse in all of the Bible than this one. You can see that this is not a plea for you to know everything about the Bible and how to defend it. This is not about knowing apologetics and how to respond if somebody says, well, what is the, you know, spiritual significance of the cubits of the tabernacle and why is it overlaid in gold and how come uh, the seven days aren't 24 hours? Like, you don't have to know all of that stuff. Peter says, have an answer for why you have hope. Which is my second point. The reason that you can have hope, Peter already wrote about in chapter 1, verse 3. When he articulates all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is by His great mercy that we have been born again. We've been raised because Christ Jesus, uh, God rose Jesus from the dead. Now, we live with great expectation. We have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that's kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. The reason you have hope is because you were once dead in your trespasses of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. You earn death by sinning. But because Christ Jesus rose from the dead and God did that, He wants to do the same thing in your life. And that's why you can have hope. Because you're not a prisoner in slavery and bondage to sin anymore. And furthermore, he promises you a priceless inheritance that's being kept for you for all of eternity for you to live with God in heaven. That's why you can have hope. So when you're living this good life and you're seeing good days and people are like, what do you have to be so happy about? You have to talk about your hope. You have to talk about, well, I was once dead and God rose me from the dead. And they're like, well, that sounds weird. Can you explain that a little more? You're like some kind of zombie. And you're like, no, no, no. There's this thing called sin and it's separating you from God. And the reason you can share your hope is because your hope might be different than my hope. And the sin that I was dead to might be different than the sin that you're dead to. And God is asking you to use that to give your hope to help raise somebody else from the dead. This is what your life is all about. Peter writes, you should do this. Talk about your hope with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. What he's getting at there is he's saying, uh, before I tell you what I believe, I'm going to show you how I live. I'm going to do good and I'm going to change the world around me, and I'm going to get involved, and I'm going to do all these things for the glory of God, and then I'm going to talk about my hope when somebody comes to ask me. The old saying, preach the gospel when necessary, use words. Oh, words are necessary, but first I'm going to show everybody how I live. Y'all ever have that coach in high school who said, the best defense is a good offense? I love that quote right? Because I didn't guard anybody. I, you know, I just shot. I said, I told the coach, like, three is worth more than two. My guy might have scored. I got long range layups out here, coach, like three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen. Like, we'll rack them up. The best defense for me is a good offense. The same is true for your spiritual life. 
When Peter says, be prepared to give an answer, he says, your best defense is the good offensive life that you're living. Like you're, you're on the move. You're doing things for the glory of God. How different would the world look if Christians were the happiest people on the planet and our actions reflected it? How different would the world look if we actually lived in such a way where we believed the best was yet to come? God, help me preach this into your souls because there's way too many people in the world who claim to be Christian and they're just angry all the time. And it's turning people off. And God says, you should have the best life ever. The problem is life's hard. And I get that. Because you've been through some stuff. But that's why you can trust the Bible. Because in the very next verse, verse 17, Peter says, For it's better, if it's God's will, to suffer, uh uh-oh, for doing good than for doing evil, because Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteousness, to bring you to God? What if your suffering is meant to bring somebody to God? That's complicated. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. If you want to live the good life, you might have to suffer. What's hard about that is sometimes your suffering might be God's will, according to this. That's why success comes from thoughtfulness, not mindlessness. Because if you're mindlessly going through the suffering, understand the purpose that God might have for you within that. Say, well, I don't like that, Pastor. I don't either. I didn't write it. But I can tell you why you can trust it. And I can tell you why suffering is good news. Because how do you know something is good? Is it not because you've experienced something that was bad? How do you know that Popeye's chicken sandwich is the best thing that you've ever put into your mouth? Is it not because there was that one time in college you were broke, just had a bunch of lint-filled change in your pocket, and you're like, God, I just want a chicken sandwich. And it's late at night, and you're ashamed. I'll just go to Burger King. That's what you think. And you're like, ah, oh, how bad can it be? And then you found out because you've experienced something good in the name of Popeye's or Chick-fil-A. See, the hard part here is the way we started this morning because we talked about this call that God's calling you and He's got this call for your life. And if you answer the call and you accept the charges, then you're going to inherit a blessing. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what Christ did for you. And that's great news. And, and you start doing these things and then you're going to love life and you're going to see good days. And then it says, but you have to suffer. You're like, well, that doesn't seem to add up. I thought God's will was that we would inherit a blessing. It is. But you just said that God's will is that we might have to suffer. I know, I did say that, because the Bible said that. Well, which is it? It's both. 
You get both. I hope you understand that any time you read the Bible, you're reading it through the lenses of a 20th century American. Some of you young people, 21st century American, God help us that that's, you're born in the year 2000. What in the world? So when you read the word blessing, you immediately think career, life, and money. Uh, that's a blessing. This is career, life, and money. Except that's almost never what the Bible means when it uses the word blessing. It has nothing to do with your career, life, or money. Which is why God says if any one of those things are attacked, you can still have a blessing. Because it has nothing to do with that. Which goes back to my initial point that success comes from thoughtfulness, not mindlessness. Because when you're being thoughtful and you're going through these difficult things, and God's going to bring to your mind Jesus' words in John chapter 16 when he said, I've told you these things so that you might have peace. Because in this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. The biggest blessing God can give you is peace in your soul apart from anything that's on this planet. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to love people and like want to experience good things in life. It's quite the opposite. It's the recognition that God gave you those things for your joy and His glory. And you have to realize that He loves those things more than you could possibly love any of it. So if He takes something away from you, it's for your good. It's because He's got something better for you. So listen to me now. Jesus didn't come to this earth to be nailed to a cross, to suffocate and bleed to death. That every time he wanted to take a breath, he had to push his entire body weight up on a nail. He didn't do that for you so you could have trinkets and toys. He did that so you could have new life. So that you could inherit a blessing. So that you could find joy and find peace even in the darkness. That's God's plan for your life. And a lot of people don't want to become Christian. And they say Christianity is boring. That's because they've met a lot of boring Christians. And God says, no, 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 no. I want you to experience fullness of life. Like travel, do good things, create music, write poetry, do all kinds of amazing creative things and show the world that there's something better than the 80 years that you're going to get on this planet. If we learn anything from Peter, is that we're not just going to let life happen to us. No, we're going to start happening to our lives. And we're going to be thoughtful, not mindless, and we're going to take control, and we're going to love well, and we're going to be humble, and we're going to be sympathetic, and yeah, we're going to watch our mouths, and we're going to do good, and we might have to suffer, but even then, we're going to talk about our hope because good days are at stake. Loving life is at stake. Helping other people see the goodness of God is at stake. Success comes from thoughtfulness, not mindlessness. So let me ask you this as we close out our time together. What area of life do you need to give more thought to? If success comes from thoughtfulness, not mindlessness, what area do you need to give more thought to? Maybe a better question is, 
what area of your life are you trying to ignore? Like it's not there. My dad's in law enforcement. He was telling me about one night they were looking for uh, a suspect that had been out on the run as dark and whatever, and he uh, just laid down in the grass like this. Like, if you can't see me, like, I can't see you, you can't see me. And they're like, shine a flashlight. No, we can see you, man. And uh, a lot of us, that's our spiritual lives. Like, we're trying to hide these things from God, and God's like, nope, I'm God. See exactly what it is you're doing. And you got this one place in your soul all locked up tight, and in your mind you're like, well, if God, if I, I'm not going to acknowledge it, and then maybe God will just forget about it. And like, no, um, God's trying to deal with something. And your joy, your peace, like that's why it keeps coming up, keeps rearing its ugly head. And you're like, what? Not this again. And God's like, no, deal with it. And it'll go away. Because your joy's on the line. Today's the day. Stop wasting time. Small things. Over and over. I'm going to come to church every week. I'm going to start giving. You know, I'm, I'm not seeing any progress yet, but I'm going to trust the process. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to get in group. I'm going to serve wherever God has gifted me to serve. I'm going to figure it out because my joy is on the line. Good is on the line. And when you start doing those things over and over, the small things that seem so very insignificant, suddenly good hours turn into good days, turn into good weeks, turn into good months, turn into good years, turn into good lives that God has promised you. Small things, thoughtfulness, not mindlessness. Stop existing. Start living. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this life that you've given us, the freedom that we have to come and gather in this place, for being alongside us in this journey, God. I'm asking you to do what only you can do right now and start speaking to our hearts. And I'm asking you all right now as you're listening to my voice to listen to God's voice. What area of your life do you need to give more thought to? Where are you trying to hide things Your joy is on the line. Good life is on the line. God is trying to help you. He's not trying to keep anything from you. He might just be saying, surrender. That's the word from God this morning for you. I believe and your son Jesus. I believe he died, but he rose from the dead. You're promising new life. God, I want that. Forgive my sin, my shortcomings. Help me live for you. God, help each one of us as we leave this place to be confident in the hope that we have, that you've changed our lives. Give us an opportunity to speak that into somebody else's life. Be with us as we leave. And throughout this week, 
and throughout our lives. Help us, God. In Jesus' name, amen.